0: All right, good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Jim, and if I've never met you before, I need to know that, and so please come tell me that I've never met you before, uh, because sometimes I forget, and just, I'd love to meet you after the service and welcome you to our church and tell you everything about our church. I will tell you everything, even our secrets, shh, don't tell. All right. Real quickly, just for the men's retreat coming up this weekend, it begins at 7 p.m. on Friday night and will end around 7 p.m. on Saturday night. There will not be food. There'll be some snacks on Friday night, but no meals, so eat before you come, and there'll be three meals on Saturday. If you are spending the night, you do need to supply your own bedding and that sort of thing if you have any other questions, please come talk to me after the service with any of the details. So, good. Commercial over. Check. Let's go to Acts 13. We're getting back into the book of Acts. We took a break. Uh, the book of Acts is its just a big book. And so we're going to take it in bits uh, to get through this book. Again, learning... From the early church, how should we live as a church and as individuals within the church? There's a natural break between chapters 12 and 13, and in 13, the Apostle Paul becomes more the main character of the book. And it will begin, in chapter 13, we're going to see him begin the first of his missionary journeys, and that will... Be most of the rest of the content of the book of acts looking at how paul is a missionary to his culture And so one of the questions we have to ask as individuals and as a church because In the christian identity each one of us has a relationship with jesus But we also have a relationship as a corporate body as a family And so we need to understand what does it look like for us? To be missionaries in our culture. What does it look like us to be a missionary church and missionary individuals like the Apostle Paul was? And so we're going to see the first of that in the first three verses of Acts chapter 13. And we're going to talk about how Paul is sent by the church. He is sent away from the church to do ministry outside of the church. And our big idea as you follow along in the outline in your bulletin is this. A church led by the Spirit is willing to send its people and resources to meet the needs of others. A church that is truly led by the Holy Spirit which indwells all believers, a church that is truly led by the Holy Spirit, will send its resources and people away to supply for the needs of others. So let's first look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 13. If you're using one of the chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 921. But verses... One and two, we're going to see the call to send. The call to send. Follow along as I read. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now the first thing I want us to notice, or if you were in Sunday school today, observe, is the list of leaders in verse 1. Here they are identified as prophets and teachers, We don't know if some of them are prophets and some of them are teachers and which ones are which, but we can recognize that they are leaders in the church at Antioch. Antioch is a city, so think of this is the church in the city of Antioch, and here are their leaders, and then we're given some names and some descriptions. We've got Barnabas we've met before, one of the most generous people in the New Testament church including selling his house and putting the proceeds in the offering plate. Simeon, who is called Niger, which means black, and Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is in what is today we would call North Africa. Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. He probably grew up knowing Herod the Tetrarch, who was the son of Herod the Great, who we read about in Luke chapter 2, in the birth of Jesus, and Saul, or who would come later, the Apostle Paul. Now, what do we notice about these men? Let me read to you. I just want to deal with this briefly because just this list tells us something about the church. I'm going to read you a quote from a pastor named Matt Chandler. Now, he's a lot taller, so I'll try to simulate that height as I read this passage. Lastly, there's a type of diversity in this church that I have pled with God to bring us. Let me just walk you through some of the men in the room. Barnabas is from Cyprus. He's a Hellenistic Jew. Simeon is of unknown origin. We don't know where he's from, but they call him Niger, which is Latin for black. Every commentary, every church historian says that we What we know about Simeon is that his skin is black. So we have a man from Cyprus who's a Hellenistic Jew, and we have a black man. Lucius is from Cyrene, and he is an African. Menean is a Palestinian Greek Herodian. And then finally, you have Saul of Tarsus, who grew up in Jerusalem and is a Jew, but not the same kind of Jew Barnabas is. He's a Hebraic Jew. So in this room, just the list we have is a lot like MTV's The Real World. It's like, take people who will not possibly be able to get along and stick them in a house together. Here they are. These men would have been trained from birth to despise the other men on this list, to feel superior to the men on this list, to position themselves as more intelligent and more intrinsically valuable than the other men on this list. The gospel showed up and blew all that to kingdom come, tore down the walls of hostility, Broke down the walls of cultural identification and created a new body, a new people. You see why I just read the quote. And he's good. OK. Um, but what we need to see is, just in the identity of the church, you see people from all different cultures, all different backgrounds, breaking down all of the barriers of race, of economics. And come together as one body. And what do they do together? What do they do, this diverse group of people who should not get along, but who are only united by the good news of Jesus Christ that died for each of them? What do they do? They worship together. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In addition to who these men are, we are told that they are worshiping and they are fasting. Fasting often in the Bible accompanies prayer. It is a way to give extra dedication to the discipline of prayer. The idea is that I deprive myself voluntarily of food for a time so that I can more focus on prayer. And while they are in the midst of this, as one writer has put it, time of spiritual focus on the Lord while they are focusing on who God is and what he has done, the Holy Spirit speaks to them. Now again, we're not told the exact details of how. We don't know if this was an audible voice. We don't know if this was some inner prompting of the Holy Spirit because that's not important right now. What is important is that God has revealed in this time of worship and prayer that they have to do something. The Holy Spirit is calling them to action. And let's look at what they are supposed to do. Again, look at verse 2. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Now I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the church at Antioch. One of your leaders, one of your preachers at the church is the Apostle Paul. Some of you are thinking that would be really nice right now. But I just want you to imagine that on Sunday mornings you are hearing One of the writers of the New Testament preached. (laughs) And if you're thinking of yourself like the church at Antioch, the last thing you're going to do is going to want to send that guy away. Paul was incredibly smart. He was incredibly articulate. He could both speak in the pagan world and in the Jewish world he was a wonderful evangelist bold in his evangelism and Paul says to the other people at the church you gotta send him away again if we put ourselves in the shoes of the church at Antioch we're thinking no we'll keep him we like having him here. <laughs> We're not getting rid of that guy. But here's the problem the Holy Spirit is saying, you have to send him away. So, what do they do? Here's this big decision. Again, you've, you've got the Apostle Paul himself there. I mean, you read the book of Romans, one of Paul's largest works, and you see the thought and the detail that he puts into the understanding of what Christ came to do for us. And we were like, we're going to send that guy away? Why can't we send Lucius away? I mean, maybe they started bartering with God. (laughs) Are you sure you want Paul? Paul? Okay, we'll give you Barnabas. That's fine. But do you really want Paul? I mean, I mean come on. I mean, Manan, he, I mean, he was a friend of Herod, so yeah, he has to go. You know, so well, you can take him. But but no. The church has to decide what are we going to do? How are we going to respond to God's call on us as a church to send Paul? And Barnabas. And then we need to place ourselves in the shoes of Paul and Barnabas. Look at the command again. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now let's look at that job description. And I want you to think about your job. And if you had this job description at your work, would you really like it? Look, there are no details here. This is a terrible job description. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Okay, and I mean <laughs> all they know is that God has called them to something. Now, later on in the chapter, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit eventually shows them where to go. But right now, when they have to make the decision, they don't know. So again, on both parties, you have a hard decision. Will we be obedient to what the Holy Spirit has called us to do? The church is saying, boy, these guys are sure wonderful at ministry, And for the work that our church is doing. And Paul and Barnabas are probably thinking, where? What? How? So the question for both groups again is this Will we obey the Holy Spirit? Because it's not an easy decision. But will we step out in faith and obey? Let's read what they do in verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Here's what I want you to notice. They hear this call from the Holy Spirit. This Again, it may have been an audible voice. It may have been this inner prompting that I think if, if you've been a believer for a while, you've felt that before, this inner prompting of the Spirit. But what do they do? The first thing they do is continue fasting and praying. Notice this is the second time that fasting has been talked about. And again, usually it's coupled with prayer, so when you see one, you can often assume the other one is there. And they went right to their knees in prayer. And after they spent that time in prayer, probably asking for the wisdom that God provides, asking for guidance and that this was really from Him, They lay their hands on Paul and Barnabas. This was an action of commission. This idea of of this is the church, by, by by the physical action that people can see, the laying on of hands, says we agree that this is what the Holy Spirit wants and we are sending you off in sort of in our name, from us with the approval of us to do what God has called you to do. And so we see that the church is obedient to the call and Paul and Silas are obedient to being sent. Now a couple things we want to notice. Notice. One, with the laying on of hands, this is a community action. This is an action of the church. This is not just Paul and Silas doing their thing, doing what they want. No, this was a complete community action. Again, both parties have reason to say no and both parties say yes. And in faith, they send them away to do ministry outside of the city of Antioch, outside of their particular church. So this is the question. Are we going to be a church? Are we going to be individuals that sends and is sent from here. When you think about it, these three short verses change dramatically how we think about the ministry of the church. Again, we can, we can very much sympathize with the church at Antioch of saying, "Well, we don't really want Paul to go because he's such a great part of our community." This is probably very true. But that's not what God wanted. I want us to think briefly about how we've benefited from this as a church. 35 years ago, in a couple months, other churches from our district sent workers here to build this building. this building was built using the resources and people of other churches in addition to our own. Again, we've benefited from this. Almost four years ago, a little church in the middle of Illinois called Chillicothe Bible Church sent you their associate pastor. Now, some of you may not view this as a benefit, but that's okay. (laughs) But 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 Darcy and I, and Lucy at the time were were sent from that church to minister here. <laughs> Thanks, Florence. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> How have we have we done this? And we've done this before. Our missionary budget every year we support sending people by giving them our resources in ways that we're not going to directly benefit from here and we send using our funds people to other parts of the world and the country and no direct benefit that's a part of sending is providing for those to be sent and we have even sent people Two that I think of directly would be Dave Heinen and his family and the Sturgis family. They were sent from here out into the mission field. Dave Heinen was, and his family was sent to Republic Washington to work with Youth Dynamics. And the Sturgises were sent to Black Forest Academy, a missionary school in Germany. We've already done this a little bit, and so in some ways we know what it's like, and the challenge for us is to keep sending. Let me give you, and this week I've got seven, seven quick applications of this text. I don't usually do seven, but it's, you know, it's a holy number, so it's okay. Number one, what do we learn about being a sending church and being sent from these three verses in the beginning of Acts 13? Number one, don't neglect prayer in your decision-making process. At the beginning of the story, they are in prayer, and after they, they hear the call from the Holy Spirit, the first thing they do is they continue in prayer. And in our fast-paced world We're tempted to just blaze through our decisions, and we need to slow down and bathe our decisions in prayer. Number two, trust God to provide for our needs, including people to take the place of those we send. This is a hard one. Again, put yourself in the shoes of the church at Antioch. They were losing the ministry of the Apostle Paul one of the things that that church had to do was trust that God would provide others to do the ministry that Paul couldn't do anymore. Let me tell you a quick story about a church that I was involved in. This church really needed another elder. There were were leadership um, struggles at the church, and there was need for another elder. But with the current congregation there was either no one qualified or willing to step into that role. And there was a real hard time where the, where the board really prayed for another elder. But it was hard to imagine how it would be done because you're not just going to have somebody brand new to the church all of a sudden be on the board. And so what God did was he moved a family back to the area. <laughs> Who had a long history with the church and who had the respect of pretty much the whole congregation already. (laughs) And he was able to step into the elder board because he'd been there before and no one knew he was coming back. And God provided a large hole in that church leadership and he filled it with someone in a way that we would never have expected and it was an act of providence and when we have to be the same way we have to know that god will provide for the needs of his people number three we need to focus on the eternal nature of christian relationships As many of you know, my sister now serves overseas. And whenever you send someone, especially sending them very far away, you recognize the sacrifice of not being as close and not being able to see and communicate with them in the same way that you did. And I'm reminded of Luke chapter 18, which says this, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. We can send even friends and family to other places because we know That if they are believers in Jesus, we will be with them for eternity. And so I can make the sacrifice now, knowing that I have an eternity to spend with my friends and family. Number four, we need to make decisions understanding the effect it will have on others. When we make decisions, we can't just think how is this going to affect me? Again, think about the Antioch church. They're losing Paul. But they said it's worth it for the needs of others. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. We have to make decisions based not only on our needs, but on the needs of others. Number five, value the spread of the gospel above all else. For people to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ It's more important than my comfort. It's more important than how I feel about it at the time. See, we're ascending church when making disciples of all nations is the highest priority that we have. If that's not our priority, then we're going to make the wrong decisions. We're just going to keep gathering resources for ourselves instead of giving them away to help the needs of others. Number six, sending should take place within the context of the local church. This is especially true in, in those who feel called to full-time ministry, missionaries and pastors and the like. John Calvin, the Reformation theologian, talked about an internal and an external call. There was an internal call in where the individual felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to engage in ministry. But he said that wasn't enough. There has to be this external call where others affirm your call. And we see that here in that Paul and Barnabas are sent, not just because they feel like it, but they are sent by their local church. The decision was confirmed within community. I'm thankful that, that in my call to be a pastor, I had people along the way and churches along the way affirm my calling so it wasn't just how I felt. And so it's important that when when one day, I hope we send many more missionaries and pastors from this church, that, that we are involved in their lives in such a way that we can speak truth into their lives and affirm those decisions and confirm those big decisions. Because I think, We're best served when we send as a community, not just as individuals. And then, lastly, when God calls you, go. Again, it's not just the obedience of the church, but it's the obedience of Paul and Barnabas to go. And I hope we send some of you here. to God's ever-expanding work across the world. And it's not an easy decision. It's not easy to move a long distance. But there are some that we need to send. And so if that is you, if you are being called to go... And you need to be obedient to the call to go. Now, there are also other applications in that you're called to cross the street and talk to your neighbor about Jesus. <laughs> That's another way we're called to go. You can still stay in that same house, but you've got to go out into your community. And, and of one thing I'm confident, That when we ask God to give us an opportunity to share Jesus, He will give us that opportunity. And in that way, we can also go. But wherever God is calling you to go, you need to go when He calls you. We close with this quote from commentator Daryl Bach. In this case, the community, sensing God's clear direction, puts its weight behind an outreach far beyond its own walls. God loves churches that look beyond their own needs. One wonders where the church today would be if Antioch had not been led to look beyond its own community and city limits to do evangelism. Everything about Acts shows us that its impetus is toward the church's call to mission. We build churches not just to go in for worship, but also to go out with God's heart for people. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the obedience of Paul and Barnabas and of the Antioch church that they were obedient to the call of the Holy Spirit to send Paul and Barnabas to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who had never heard. God, that we would be ascending church and that you would be raising up people from this congregation to go and to minister outside of our community and that we would be obedient both to send and to be sent. That we would be obedient to the Holy Spirit calling us to the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.